In this episode of Flying Smarter, I start by looking at Aircraft Age. Then, for the main segment, I'm continuing my chat with Kendall Grender in the second part of my conversation with her about budget travel and travel hacking. Welcome to episode 37 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. Let's get started. How old is the plane that I'm flying on? Commercial aircraft can stay in service for decades, and it's not uncommon for planes to be around for much longer than cars. The aircraft that you fly on undergo rigorous maintenance routines, allowing them to stay airworthy and safe for a long time. Of course, there are also lots of newer planes in service, but you might not be able to tell the difference. An airline can take a 20-plus year old aircraft and redo the cabin interior so that it looks brand new, and passengers usually won't be able to tell the difference unless they know how to check. For example, the average age of a Delta Airlines aircraft is approximately 15 years. While Delta has a lot of new aircraft delivered within the last few years, it also operates Airbus A320 family aircraft and Boeing 757s and 767s that are upwards of 25 years old. But if you're just sitting in the cabin and looking around, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that your plane is that old. Meanwhile, the average age of the British Airways fleet is approximately 13 and a half years, and its oldest aircraft is a 26-year-old Boeing 777-200ER. Interestingly, low-cost carriers and ultra-low-cost carriers tend to have relatively younger fleets as they're less expensive to maintain. Spirit Airlines has an average fleet age of around 7 years, and EasyJet's average aircraft age is around 10 years. So how can you find out how old your aircraft is? Well, you'll need to find a way to identify the specific plane you're flying on, and the easiest way to do this is usually by figuring out the aircraft's registration, which is an internationally required unique code for each plane. It'll be painted on the outside of the aircraft, but you can also find it on certain websites and apps like Flight Radar 24, as well as some airline flight status tools. In the United States, aircraft registrations start with the letter N, but their format varies around the world. Once you have the registration, you can find the aircraft age with a quick Google search and looking at websites like Airfleets or Planespotters, which both have individual pages for each aircraft that include its age. That being said, I'm telling you all this so that you can check if you're curious, but by no means am I suggesting that older aircraft are not safe. Flying is an incredibly safe method of travel, and like I said earlier, planes are able to safely stay in service for decades because they are heavily regulated and undergo extensive maintenance on a regular basis. Did you know that you can connect your Bluetooth wireless earbuds or headphones to some in-flight entertainment systems? When you're streaming or watching content on your own device on board, you can use your Bluetooth device of course, but in recent years, some airlines have also been integrating Bluetooth compatibility into their CPAC entertainment systems. Airlines such as United Airlines, Delta Airlines, Emirates, and Qatar Airways allow passengers to connect their Bluetooth earbuds or headphones to their CPAC in-flight entertainment on certain aircraft. On the majority of planes out there though that don't have Bluetooth integration, you can still connect your Bluetooth listening devices by using a Bluetooth adapter. 
These are devices that plug into the system and transmit a Bluetooth signal that you can then connect your earbuds or headphones to. The main segment of this episode is the second part of my chat with Kendall Grender, the budget traveler and content creator behind the very successful Instagram account Kendall Travels. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the first part of my conversation with her in episode 36, I strongly recommend that you go do that first. We talked about things like booking flights with points versus with cash, finding cheap cash fares, and saving money by using positioning flights. Kendall has saved tens of thousands of dollars on travel over the years and offers services and resources to help people save on their travels. Now, let's get to the second part of my talk with Kendall. So travel hacking isn't all about points and miles. We talked about it a little bit, but it is a big part. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit. What's your approach to collecting points and miles? Oh, it's probably not like anyone else you'd probably talk to. That's good though. It keeps it interesting. I'm curious now. I don't, you know, a a lot of travel hackers will tell you, you need to take out a card every three months. You need to get that sign up bonus and then you need to move on. And, you know, I'm very much of the mindset of maximizing my points and miles that I have um, by having the right cards. So, I call them, you know, the wallet keeper foundation, right? So these are the cards that I know I pay my bills with. I know I pay my groceries with. I know I use in my everyday life. And so if you're maximizing those points and miles, that makes a lot more um, flexibility for you. The other thing is I don't fly business class. So like, I don't need, you know, to earn, um, a million, two million points a year in order to sustain this lifestyle or this approach for social media's goodness, good graces of of likes and comments. You know, I fly economy even with points and miles almost always. And so, you know, with, with that approach in mind, I'm very much into maximizing that, stretching my already defined travel budget. And so the points and miles we earn, yes, we take out cards. Um, We take out one to two a year right now um, to get a bonus that is going to help sustain us for the next year of um, how those points and miles can be beneficial for us. The other piece of that for me is I tend to pay cash with my airfare and points and miles for my hotel. And here's why. A hotel is going to run you a, a nice hotel that we would enjoy staying at is going to run you between 150 to 300 dollars a night right your flight is 600 dollars <laughs> you're getting a lot more value out of a week of free hotel rooms mm-hmm. than you are in your flight consistently if you use your points and miles for hotels and so that's where i put my sweet spot right so yes i use points sometimes for our airfare but generally speaking i use our points and miles for our hotels so i strategically choose to earn chase points for transfers to hyatt i love ihg because you get the fourth night free with points so you're basically getting a 25% discount but then i use unconventional approaches as well so ihg will run 100% point buying bonus. I buy those points, right? You're buying them at half a cent. You use them in four night increments. 
you're getting a lot of value for those. So utilizing points and miles to me is beyond like taking out a card, this like quote unquote churning behavior. And it's more about strategically getting a bonus when it makes sense to you. The points and miles are helpful to your travel goals and you know that they're going to work for you in the next year. Um, but outside of that, then there's other ways that you can accumulate points and miles um, and utilize them for your travel goals, both in terms of maximizing strategies with the cards you already have, utilizing free night certificates, utilizing the benefits of the cards that you have, and then getting cards that will make those travel goals easier that are just unattainable financially if you don't have them. I break it down into like a three card approach. So you have your wallet keepers that we've already talked about, your drawer keepers, which are the cards that have those free night certificates, those bougie perks, you know, that diamond status, all of that kind of stuff. And then you have these like what I call non-keeper cards. And those are cards that you get for the bonus because the bonus is going to help make your travel goals attainable for you. And most people are stuck in that third card. They're stuck in that revolving door of what's going to work for them for those travel goals in a year from now and not thinking about building the foundation of their house, which is going to allow them not to have to take that revolving door out all the time. So I know you talk a lot about uh, what's called stacking. Um, can you tell me a bit about what that is and uh, and how people can leverage that? Yeah, stacking is at the most basic form. It's layering opportunities to earn more cash back and points and miles through anything that you're buying. And so generally we think about this in terms of points and miles, right? Like how can we earn more points and miles? But earning cash back can also be an opportunity for you to save on your travel if you utilize that money for travel. And you're probably already doing stacking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably already doing it. If you've ever used a promotional code with something on sale, that's a stack, right? We have the sale item, plus we have the promotional code. We've had two forms of savings. The goal of it is to use more than your credit card, your best earning card for that item on every purchase you make. So if you had a um, Capital One Venture X, you bought something on sale online and you had a promo code, you're earning with your Venture X, you're earning, uh, you're saving with buying the discounted item, plus you're saving using a promo code. That's a pretty basic stack you've probably already done without even realizing it. But we can get far more complicated with it um, in terms of points and miles, earnings, and cashback savings you can do. So I like to use stacking as a tool because I don't like taking out cards as we've kind of already established. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of like to use stacking as my form of savings in addition to points and miles. Um, and so earning through a variety of approaches. Personally, you know, my kind of background of stacking is I started travel hacking in college and I had no money. I had no money in college. I had no money in grad school. And so stacking for me was my opportunity to get points and miles and also save on travel so that we could continue to travel. And so I got really good at that part of travel hacking where it was more about, you know, like, how can I get this $300 hotel room for $150? And learning a lot about how to do savings that way, where I didn't need points and miles because I was making 
the travel so affordable for us of getting that price down to a point that myself and my husband could feel comfortable going to Amsterdam instead of going to Florida on a trip. And so that was a nice approach that we took um, to traveling was through stacking techniques to save money uh, through cashback and additional points and miles earnings. And these can get incredibly complicated. And, you know, my issue with it is people make them incredibly complicated online. And really, if you have a base basic skills, you can build on those to make this a lifelong lesson for you to save an additional thousands of dollars every year on travel. If you just know how to do it, you know, I, um, you know, there's like one stack where you can stack Starbucks, like six ways, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, how many people know that are out Mm -hmm. there like stacking Starbucks six ways? Well, you can do it if you just know all of the tools that are necessary to make that happen, that then you can apply to all these different ways of saving money in your day-to-day life too. And I know you've got uh, your new course coming up, Stacking Academy. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Maybe I'll tell people where they can find it and all that. Um, But I know that's something that you talk about a lot and that some people A, either get you know, confused about or be, um, aren't fully taking advantage of it. So I think it's great that, uh, that's something that you're sharing. Absolutely. Um, now let's talk about flying the actual experience. So in terms of going to the airport, um, being on board, um, what are some things that you find that can help people save money during the actual experience itself? Well, I think what's interesting about that question is my husband and I talked about this every time we come go through an airport experience, because there are ways that we're saving money or saving time and energy throughout a flying experience that a lot of people don't take advantage of, whether be it's because they don't know, or they don't care, or they just think it's for rich people, which I think is largely, you know, what people think is going on business people only, you know, rich Mm -hmm. business people do that and Mm -hmm. nobody else. And I can promise you, I am not a rich business person. (laughs) So, you know, it is for everybody, but I think it's largely like, how can you create the experience in an airport that is both helpful for you, but also makes it a much more enjoyable experience. Um, One thing you can easily do is you probably already have a card that offers you TSA pre-check or global entry if you live in the United States. Um, And so these are great benefits that you don't have to wait in the long TSA line. You don't have to take your shoes off, right? You don't have to take your belt Mm -hmm. off. You don't have to go through that scanner that who knows what it's doing as Mm -hmm. it goes around you. Um, You know, you can make that a much more enjoyable experience and make it a lot easier for you. If you do that, go for global entry. If you ever travel internationally, you will thank me uh, consistently for that because you scan your face and they say, welcome to the US and you go through. Um, But then, you know, what happens after you get through security? So that's where you can use other perks that your cards offer in what I call my drawer keeper cards, right? And so we can go to an airport lounge. If you travel enough and you have to think about what how you travel, do you already buy food at the airport, all of these kinds of criteria, or does it matter to you that you now have that opportunity? But if you get the right cards, then you can go to the lounge when you get through, right? And not all lounges are created equal. They're generally much better abroad than at home. Um, And when you're at home, like everyone knows the Amex Platinum, it's a good card um, when it comes to lounge access. And so, but it also has a very high annual fee. So that's why I don't recommend it to most people. But for me, 
I traveled 96 days last year in 2022. I was gone from my house 96 days. And so having that card allowed me to get free meals, not only at airport lounges in the States, but airport lounges abroad as we were kind of traveling around and having those experiences. The third piece of it then is, you know, there are ways that you can get, um, airline status that don't require you to one fly with that airline or two credit your miles to another airline that makes it much more lucrative for you through partnerships. So an airline that uh, gives you miles by distance is going to be much better than an airline that credits by the class of service and your ticket costs, right? So if you're flying from LA to New York and your ticket was $150 and they're only going to give you 30% of that on one airline and the other one's going to give it to you in distance, that's a, that's a much better opportunity for you to help you gain status. Now, the issue with that is you have now, let's say it was with uh, One World. So now you have One World status, but you don't have American Airlines status. Um, and so like, you're not going to be getting all those upgrades necessarily on American, but you at least can get that extra like room C now for free because you knew what to credit your miles to. Um, you can also do that specifically with American Airlines by basically buying your way towards status um, with them through their shopping portal, through uh, Rocket Miles, or through American Airlines hotels or booking cruises, all of this kind of stuff that you can do to basically play the game towards status with them. But even outside of that, you can use your card credit. So a lot of cards come with airline credits, either whether it be for incidental credit where you can get extra legroom seats, or if you're flying Spirit Airways, like God bless you for doing that anyways, but you can you know, then uh, upgrade yourself to a nicer seat with those credits that you have on your card or check your bags for free. Um, so, Airline cards or general cards with airline credits can be a useful tool then to make the the last stage of that flying experience a little bit easier for you when it comes to having the right seat or getting to board at the time that helps you or, you know, anything like that that can be useful for you. Lots of approaches, but I guarantee like my experience at the airport is way better than my mother's. So um, she still won't get her TSA pre-check that I'll give her on my card as a gift. Oh no, and even for free? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I can confirm for anyone uh, out there who who hasn't gotten TSA free check. I mean, I live in Canada, but I have an access card similar to Global Entry, also gives you TSA free check. Can confirm, highly recommend. Um saves you, especially nowadays like last summer some of the lines you saw at the airport there, right? It's uh Oh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. so good. And it's better like a lot of people ask me about Clear mm -hmm. now, which I mm -hmm. also have Clear. Yeah. But Clear you have to pay annually. Mm -hmm. It's fairly expensive. Um, you can get some credits on some specific cards, Google clear credits, credit card, you'll find the list of those. Um, but you know, like the TSA pre-check global entry is so much easier for everyday people. Mm -hmm. If you already have a card, you use that card, you'll get the money credited back and you can move forward with your life mm -hmm. and not take your shoes off while yeah. you do it. Yeah. Um, now you talked about, yeah, you spend time in airport lounges. Um, and one of the things that I found most interesting and appealing about what you do is that even though you're a budget traveler, 
you know, you're not always flying basic economy and low cost carriers and you don't stay in hostels all the time. And like you recently flew Japan Airlines business class across the Pacific, which is really cool. You're mm-hmm. often staying in nice hotels. Um, so your ability to save money while traveling uh, and traveling on a budget still involves high end experiences. And I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, it's I have a very interesting blend. Like I think that the best beds are at the Holiday Inn. So shout out to Holiday Inn. You have the best duvets in the world. <laughs> but you know, I I like to experience however it's going to make the best trip possible for me. So, you know, I've stayed at Park Hyatt's, but I love the Holiday Inn, you know. So it's just like you have to think about what experience uh, will work for you on that specific trip, mm-hmm. um, which also is great for me because it doesn't make me brand loyal in the way a lot of people are. I'm not like going in the business district, district to stay at a Hyatt so that I can say, you know, get a point or a night instead of in points instead of saying like closer to where I want to be for that experience that I want to have. Um, but yeah, I think that luxury travel doesn't mean hostels. If you use points or excuse me, budget travel doesn't mean hostels. If you use points and miles, you can have luxurious experiences, but I think it's for me personally, it's about balance. Mm -hmm. You know, I have stayed at really lovely hotels around the world. And I'm very fortunate to have these experiences because of points and miles or free night certificates or having good credit that I can get these credit cards that work for me um, in those ways. But, you know, I also am very, you know, much about my roots in some ways of just making whatever makes the most economical sense and economical, not just in cash, but economical in my points and miles so that I don't have to take out cards all the time. So when people are spending like 40,000 points a night at a um, Hyatt hotel somewhere in the world, I'm like, oh my gosh, that would blow through all of my points. That would make me so sad. Like, what am I going to do? You know? So I like to kind of have a balance there, uh, personally, but yeah, I, I, I have luxurious experiences, but you know, the, I would, let me say this. The other part of that is having cards and status that allow you to have more luxurious experiences than you would have had. So, um, for example, the Hilton Aspire card gives you automatic automatic diamond status. And so that automatic diamond status, when I'm abroad, I've always gotten a sweet upgrade, you know? So like mm-hmm. I paid $120 for the base room at this hotel mm-hmm. in Europe and I've gotten a thousand dollar suite. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my part of travel hacking too, is like having the right statuses and benefits that allow you to have more luxurious experiences, even if you're paying cash for those. And a lot of those are what I call lazy man status, right? So like, you have diamond status with this card. Cool. You know, I have MGM gold status for my Hyatt status. And so like when I stay in Vegas, you know, I get free valet parking and no resort fees and Mm -hmm. whatever floor I want, whatever view I want. And it's like, you know, all of that is lazy man status. Mm -hmm. Like none of that has to do with me. I don't even go to Vegas, you know, frequently. But, you know, all of those things are perks then that allow you to have these more luxurious experiences, even if you're paying cash for those nights that allow you to like have a more holistic approach of budget travel as it could be if you uh, put more emphasis into, quote unquote, the game of points Mm -hmm. and miles. Mm -hmm. No, and I like that approach. And honestly, I think I'm a little bit like that, too. Like I've 
sometimes you see people um, talking about travel hacking or not like, okay, you have to have, you know, you have to pick a program and stick with it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, well, I, I don't do that. Am I doing it wrong? You know, kind no. of thing. And I'm like, yeah, and well, exactly. Right. That's the thing I'm like, I don't think so. Right. I have no issue flying business class one way and basic economy the next way. I have no issue staying at a holiday in one night and then a high at the next night. Right. And it's all yeah. about what works and what makes sense. Right. Yeah. And yeah. using, you know, treat your points like you treat your mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. and you can really stretch that. Now it depends too on how much you travel. Right. So like if you're, if you're traveling a lot like me, it's a lot easier to still get Hyatt status mm-hmm. and stay at an IHG here and mm-hmm. a Hilton here and Airbnb whenever I want or a boutique mm-hmm. hotel. But if you're not, you know, you have to be a little bit more tuned into what works for you and what your travel goals are. But also don't get that FOMO of like, even from me, you know, like I have Hyatt Globalist and I have, you know, a Hilton Diamond. I have all, I have status with every single major program. And, you know, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're able to do that when you're taking two vacations a year. Mm -hmm. So you have to also put in perspective, like who you are as a traveler, but Mm -hmm. then uh, figure out what that looks like in a holistic approach. And for me, for a lot of people, you don't need to be brand loyal because people are always saying to me, well, this hotel was a hundred dollars more than this one, but I really wanted, you know, the points because people say that this is a good brand for Mm -hmm. me. It's like, Mm -hmm. Is it a good brand if you're spending $100 more a night? I don't think so for you if you don't want to pay it. Kendall Grender is a full-time travel blogger, travel hacker, and content creator. She's saved tens of thousands of dollars on travel over the years and spent a month in Europe last year for a third of what it should have cost. She offers tons of resources to help travelers save money, from guides to coaching sessions to recently launched Stacking Academy, which is a course focused on helping you use stacking to make sure that you don't miss out on earning points and miles. You can learn more about all that on her website at www.kendalltravels.com. And of course, you'll find her on Instagram at Kendall Travels, where she posts tons of amazing tips, advice, and of course, content from her travels. We'll include links to all that in the episode description. Well, Kendall, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast talking about travel. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to leave a five-star review for the show if you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. It helps convince prospective listeners and guests, and I would really appreciate your help. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Music